Good morning. Good to have you with us this morning. I may need to make a a statement to make the uh, cafe appetizing uh, rather than talk about green chicken. Um, Officially, it's green chili chicken enchilada, so that's more appetizing to hear about. Enjoy the cafe. It's a wonderful time. For those of you that are here for the first time, thank you for being with us, and we hope you enjoy the free meal. It is very good, by the way. You all hear me okay? I want to make sure that uh, I'm not being misunderstood. You can't hear me at all? You can hear me a little bit. In other words, I sound like I'm making some noise, but I'm not really going to be able to communicate, okay? Uh, All right. Let's see if we can get some help here along the way. There's a real weird ring, sounds like. Okay. We don't, we don't like all these problems because they become distractions. I don't want you to be distracted from hearing the Word of God today. Which, by the way, is important. Uh, let's turn to Genesis 37. If you heard that, make sure you turn there. Genesis 37. As you're doing that, I want to mention to you that um, we finally officially have our uh, brochure uh, ready and all the information ready for the uh, tour to Israel in 2015. Uh, The brochures are available in the office and um, the dates for the uh, tour to Israel will be Monday, January the 5th through Thursday, January the 15th, 2015. Um, We have done our level best to keep the price below $4,000 because every, uh, uh, nowadays almost every tour pays from $4,000 up for the same 11 days that we go. And uh, we have worked awfully hard, but uh, we still go to very good places and and, uh, and and now the price, though it's getting close, is thirty-eight, thirty-four per person. Uh, that's double occupancy, but uh, thirty-eight, thirty-four, and um, all the information that you need is in here. Uh, I want to mention that there is a deposit due, uh, four hundred dollars per person by June the second. So there's a little time, and if you're interested in the trip to Israel, and we've gone many times, and it's been such a wonderful blessing, especially. Uh, uh, the return trip of just wanting to remember everything that you've seen and experienced um, is a joy in itself. But um, the brochures will give you all the information you need. If you want to pray about it, take a brochure, leave your name and number in the office, uh, and that gives us an idea of how many people are going. We already have a group that was supposed to be going next month, but uh, that trip uh, did not uh, materialize. So all those are going to be going in January. So we already have a core group of people, but we need to add at least another 10 to 15 people. So we would encourage you, if you have people that you know that have been wanting to go to Israel and uh, go for a very good price, then here's the tour. And I'm going to be leading it. uh, And uh, this year uh, we're going to uh, have somewhat of a prophetic tour. We're going to talk about prophecy a lot not that we're going to do it at every stop, but uh, uh, I'm going to be dealing with some of the, the issues that we've been talking about over the last year or two. So some of that's going to come up when we get to Israel, and we're looking forward to that trip. 
And uh, so, anyway, a lot of, lot of stuff to learn. Please pick up a brochure, leave your name, give us an idea of uh, your interest in it, and uh, we will pray with you for the Lord to provide every cent that you need for it. Well, we are now going to begin our real study of chapters 37 through 50, which is uh, dealing with the life of Joseph, the son of Jacob. And before we begin, I, I wanted to mention a, a couple of questions that uh, came to mind as I was in preparation for all of this. Let me ask one more time. Are you able to hear me okay? I want to make sure that there's, there's no doubt that you can hear me. Okay, good. Um, the questions pertain to the personal nature of these studies as they apply to your life. When you hear about someone like Joseph who went through so many trials, who found himself actually in a position to lose his life a couple of times, found himself in a pit, found himself in prison, and yet eventually the Lord placing him in a position of great power and influence in Egypt for the sake of helping his own family. And we talked about this in the last couple of, of, of uh, introductory studies that we had here before this one today. And, and I bring this up because I realize that a lot of times, you know, when I, when I hear prayer requests or I see prayer requests given in our prayer lists and all of that, the frustration that sometimes we, we have when we face certain trials and, oh, I'm frustrated, I, I you know, I, I, I lost this or my car stopped working or, you know, whatever. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to downplay the problems but the issue is, and the question is, are we listening to what God is saying through the trial? Are we listening so that when we face the trial, we're not blaming God for it? We're not looking at it as, oh, here's another thing, Lord, I, I did my best to do this and this is how you pay me. Or whatever other way that we can find a, a way of, of putting the, the problem out. Uh, as someone, somebody else's uh, fault. Are we willing to take responsibility, certainly, if, if we are the cause of it? But here's the other thing. If even we weren't the cause of the problems, would we be able to say with Joseph and with Paul that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose? I say this because I don't want these studies to be just some kind of academic lesson on, on the life of a biblical character. I, I want everything that happens to Joseph to mean something in your life. And, and, and we're going to find out that as Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ, all of that connecting is going to come back to us. So I'm just preparing you to listen carefully and to pay attention to how all of this can affect our walk until the day that we see Jesus Christ. Today we're going to deal with the background and, and, the, and the life of Joseph in his young days, especially when he's 17 years old, as the text mentions here in verse 1 and verse 2. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history or the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. 
And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now these wives, of course, if you remember, were actually concubines. They were the maidservants uh, of, of, of uh, Leah and Rachel. Uh, and, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, who is Jacob, uh, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. We are going to deal with that a lot today. And then in verse 4 it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, there is a term that is used quite often today in regard to families. And I I don't much like the word. I, I mean, we have to deal with it because we hear about it all the time. But the term is dysfunctional. How many of you have heard that term when, when applied to families as well as individuals? Dysfunctional, right? Just a few of you? You can raise your hands. It's 11.40 in the morning. You have some strength still, right? You just woke up. All right. Maybe you haven't heard. Okay, let's talk about that word dysfunctional. The word itself refers to the sense of disintegration produced in a family where there is a lot of hurt. Now, from the Christian perspective, it would refer to a home that is not functioning as God intended. Now, I'd rather deal with things from a Christian and a biblical perspective. So, from the Christian perspective, dysfunctionalism, as it were, refers to a home that is not functioning as God intended. Now, it could be the result of divorce. It could be the the result of a lack of communication, rivalry among children, self-consumed parents, addictions, child abuse, sexual abuse, spousal abuse, extramarital issues, pornography, and the like. But one of the strange dynamics in family life, and and I speak generally about this, But one of the dynamics or the strange dynamics in family life is that when children grow up, they often repeat the mistakes of their families. Now, let me give you a a, a little bit of an uh, of an example. You've you've grown up now, maybe you're in your thirties or forties, fifties, whatever, and all of a sudden you do something. And immediately you say, you know what? That was something my dad used to do. Or my mom did it. And now I'm doing it. And a lot of times when you do it, it's, it's like it's not a good thing. And sometimes it might be a good thing, but it's mostly, you know, you do something and it's kind of like, oh, my dad used to do that. It's, it's, it's that strange dynamic. We live in a house for so long, we begin to adopt the, you know, the actions of those that have been teaching us or growing along with us, but still, nonetheless, exuding some kind of an influence that makes us just adopt that or, or adapt to that, as it were. Has that happened to any of you? Okay, so you all understand that. Okay, I was starting to think, maybe I'm the only one in here. But the truth is, that what we know about marriage and parenting, for good or bad, we learned in our homes. The end result, as many believe, is that dysfunctional families 
can create dysfunctional families, often for generations. I want you to consider that this is at least part of what the Scriptures speak of. For example, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, when it says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Now, we all like that first part of the verse, but then it says, But He by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generations. And I have had questions asked over the the 30 years that I've been pastoring the church about, you know, well, what about these these generational sins? And what about all these things that go back in in certain families so far? You know, uh, these were the sins that we've been dealing with for three, four generations. It's a curse, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is a curse, but let let me ask you something. Can the curse be broken? I can tell you very simply... But the answer to those questions really comes back down to this. That when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that curse is broken. And then when your whole family will do that, the curse is really broken. The fact of the matter is, everything new begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And we don't have to live with those thoughts. We don't have to live with those burdens. We don't have to live with, with, with that curse hanging over us. Because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I've given you a new life. And that means a new start. And that means a new way of doing things. And yet we still have these problems in families. Living in such a family can make it very difficult. And a lot of us know this. Living in in, in such a family can make it very difficult to live for God. But it is not impossible. As we shall see. Because Joseph is proof that it can be done. Joseph was raised in a home filled with angry, jealous, and deceitful people. And yet he became one of two men whose lives are recorded in the Scriptures about whom there is not one word of criticism, the other being Daniel. Joseph was faithful in an imperfect family and we want to examine his life today and see what insights we can gain for our own lives. So we want to begin with this thought that Joseph lived with imperfect parents. Joseph lived among imperfect parents. Now I have to say that all of you who are parents here today, if you're a parent, raise your hand. You're not perfect. You're imperfect parents. But let me just say your kids are imperfect also. All right. Not one of us here is perfect. No one here has, you know, we've all figured it out yet. Joseph lived with imperfect parents. Let's look at Genesis 37 verses 1 and 2. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father, which is Isaac, was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history or the generations of Jacob. Now it's interesting that uh, it begins with the history of, of Jacob and then the first name mentioned is Joseph. That's, that's significant. It's telling us something about Joseph. And we're going to see what that is in just a moment. But Joseph being 17 years old, and in fact the youngest of all these brothers, was feeding the flock with his brothers the lad was with the sons of Bilhan, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, they're called concubines. 
because his, real, his true wives were, of course, Leah and Rachel. And Joseph was the son of Rachel. And it tells us that Joseph brought a bad report of them, the brothers, to his father. Well, Joseph's family was so unbelievable that it would rival any soap opera on television solely in its outlandish nature. And I can tell you this, that nowadays we move from soap operas to reality TV, and there is just a lot of weird, weird people on reality TV. Doug Dynasty notwithstanding. They're, they're a little weird, but the only difference with the Doug Dynasty people is that they're really weird and all, but they love Jesus. I, I, that's a good thing. I, right? I, is that, isn't that true? They love Jesus. They pray on their, in their TV program, and I don't know why they do all the other weird stuff, but they, you know. So we're not talking about them. We're talking about everybody else. Because there's some really weird things going on on reality TV. And it's like they want to be, the weirder they are, the more they want to be on TV. Well, I tell you this, Joseph's family was pretty weird. He had three stepmothers. He had ten stepbrothers. And he had a stepsister, and they were all living in the same home at the same time. That's weird. Can you already picture the turmoil in that family? Jacob, Joseph's father, he was a polygamist and a passive parent who openly showed favoritism among his children. Jacob's wives were jealous and insecure, and from what we can tell, they were pretty unhappy women too. They needed to go to the women's retreat, you know. Very unhappy women. Women. But as we studied before in the life of Jacob, he was at times a very weak and ineffective father. When great tragedy had struck the family, his daughter, who had been raped by the son of of the mayor of Shechem, Jacob did nothing. He did nothing! You all remember that? His sons, however, took matters into their own hands, killing all the men of the city. They were pretty wicked. I mean, it sounded at first like, you know, they were going to get vengeance for their sister, but then they killed everybody. They had very hateful hearts. Their hearts were not pure before God. And his father, their father did nothing. He also did nothing when his eldest son Reuben, Reuben committed incest with Jacob's concubine Bilhah. He did nothing. Now here's the question. Was Jacob too busy for his family? Was he too preoccupied and too unconcerned to deal with what was occurring in the lives of his children? Because what was happening was they were just turning more and more like the world each and every day. Except for Joseph. And it brings to mind the exhortations that we hear from the Apostle Paul in writing to the Ephesian and the Colossian churches. In Ephesians 6 verse 4 he says, And you fathers, in other words, you parents, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And it makes us wonder, did Jacob really train his children to love God? Did he really admonish them and exhort them to get their lives right before God because of, of, of their eternity? I mean, they would eventually turn to God. But 
But we're not the ones that know that in, in people's hearts. It's my hope and prayer that each and every one of you in this room today knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I hope and pray for that because I don't know. I hope you are saved. I hope you know Jesus. I hope you have a personal relationship with him. I hope you serve him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I don't know. Only God knows your heart and knows my heart. We're not to provoke our children. We're to train them. We're to teach them. We're to give them lessons that bring them to the heart of God. And we, and we wonder about Jacob's children, except for Joseph. In Colossians 3, verse 21, Paul also says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. As Christian families here, we need to encourage our children in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, not discourage them from anything. We may want to discourage them from going in the direction of sin, but listen, the discouragement is just doing things in such a way that does in fact provoke them to wrath. And I bring these particular scriptures up because it isn't hard to see that Jacob's children were provoked and discouraged by their father's favoritism and even his gifts to Joseph, as we see in verses 3 and 4. Now Israel, who is Jacob, Israel was the name that God directly gave to Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Keep that in mind there. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then the last phrase is, also he made him a tunic of many colors. And we're going to deal with that a lot here today. Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, (coughs) excuse me, and could not speak peaceably to him. They could, they, they could not and would not speak peaceably or civil to their own brother. In other words, they cussed him out. They, they said all manner of evil against their brother. Since he was the youngest, they probably picked on him all the time. But it is significant that in no way did Jacob try to hide his partiality. Now, I do want you to remember that in spite of these weaknesses... The Lord used Jacob's love for Joseph as a type of God's love and favor for his only begotten son, Jesus. On, on that end, there's, there's no problem. But the, the fact is, favoritism, as we talked about in, in Isaac's life and in Jacob's life, favoritism was not good in the family. We're told that he made jo- Joseph a tunic of many colors. Now, I, I got on the internet this week and I kept looking for something that would resemble a proper tunic of Joseph, but every time you open up images of Joseph and his coat, it was like rainbow colors, psychedelic. I thought I was back in the 60s, you know, with all kinds of weird, you know, the long hair flowing, you know, like Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat, which is, was, was a Broadway thing that they did back in the 60s and all. Uh, yeah, it, 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 there was, everything was color. And, and you see that even the translators from Hebrew to English kind of missed it. They missed out on what this really meant. Because the term, tunic of many colors, is variously translated nowadays as many colored or richly ornamented. But, but the Hebrew word itself, there's actually two words that covers this whole thing. And the second word of it is, is the direction that, that the, the, you know, the colors was written about. 
There's not colors. The word pasim, or it comes from the word pas, but pasim is, is, is plural. It means a robe that extends to the wrists and to the ankles. Extends to the wrists and to the ankles. The Hebrew word describes it as a robe that was usually white in color, extending to the ankles or wrists, perhaps with an embroidered narrow stripe of color around the edge. It was a garment worn by nobility and the wealthy. This is the reason why this coat made the brothers angry at Joseph. Joseph's brothers wore garments that were mostly short and sleeveless because they were shepherds. They worked with livestock. They were outdoors. Now, that doesn't mean that Joseph wasn't a shepherd. He was. Because that's one of the types of Joseph to Christ. Jesus, our good shepherd. But, (laughs) you have to understand this picture here. The brothers wore these sleeveless garments uh, so they could be able to climb hills, wade through swampy areas, carry sheep on their shoulders. But in essence, Joseph's robe declared that he was exempt from manual labor and hardship. Even the light color of the robe indicated that he did not expect it to get dirty or have it soiled in any way from hard work. It was not a typical garment with a few added touches of finery. It represented Joseph's favored position in the family. This is the crux of the matter. That it represented his position in the family, which was over all the other brothers. You see, the garment worn by Joseph commonly designated the rightful heir in the family. This was just cause to believe that this was the case. According to, I should say, there was just cause to believe that this was the case because according to Middle Eastern custom, if the eldest son lost the birthright, then it went to the oldest son of the second wife. Reuben, the oldest son, born to Leah, the first wife, had lost his birthright because of his incestuous relationship with his father's concubine. And thus the birthright would have fallen to Joseph as the second wife's oldest son, Rachel. And in between, of course, is Bill and Zilpah, who were just made servants. They, they, they were just concubines. Now, they produced a number of sons as well, or a few sons as well. But they were out of the running as far as the position for uh, birthright. Go back a step for just a moment. I mentioned in verse 3 the phrase, because he was the son of his old age. Because on the surface, that looks like Jacob loved Joseph simply because Joseph was born when Jacob was about 91 at the time. But, but the phrase does not refer to Jacob's age. It refers to, ja- to Joseph's character. It does not refer to Jacob's age, but to Joseph's character. The phrase itself is a Hebrew idiom for a wise son, one who possesses observation and wisdom above and beyond his years. In other words, an old head on young shoulders. And so Joseph's goodness 
And Joseph's godliness was why Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. Why he favored him more than the others. Because he saw in him what he saw not in, in, in the older sons. Who should have known God. Who should have loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But instead drew more and more to the world and did more and more of the worldly things. And certainly kept it off by going out there and killing all the men of Shechem. Joseph, even at his young age, was a godly man. Consider, if you will, the words of the Apostle Paul to a young Timothy. Early on, when Timothy was just starting out as a, as a pastor of the church of Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul tells him, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself toward godliness. And he says in verse 8, For bodily exercise profits a little, Bodily exercise helps, but godliness is profitable for all things. What do we focus on in our lives today? More of what builds a body or more of what builds a spirit? Godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And Paul is saying, listen, as a young man, be godly because it affects your life not only now, but in the days to come. And then in verse 12 of this same chapter, he says to him, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And I can assure you of this, that what that robe that Je Joseph wore in front of his brothers, given to him by his father because of his faithfulness to God, that robe represented all of these things that Paul is telling Timothy are to be in his life each and every day. Being in the Word of God, being in his conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. All of those things we see reflected in the code of Joseph, but we also see reflected in the life of Jesus Christ. That was his example to us. This is how he showed us the Father. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. I want you to start thinking as we go through the life of Joseph, I want you to have the mindset of looking for every type that Joseph is of Jesus Christ. And we see a lot of that in this coat. Of many colors, as it's called. But it is a coat of royalty and of nobility. And the coat was considered also, as this little text tells us, a symbol of purity which was in great contrast to the character that was worn by the brothers of Joseph since they weren't noted for their purity. Jesus, as the antitype of Joseph, by the way, if Joseph was the type of Jesus, 
In other words, looking from the Old to the New Testament, if Joseph was the type of Jesus, when you look from the New Testament to the Old, Jesus is the antitype of Joseph. So that's just theological words. (laughs) The type to the antitype. Antitype to the type. So Joseph was the type of Christ. Jesus is the antitype of Joseph. So Jesus, as the antitype of Joseph, always wore his purity by his life in contrast to the religious robes of his enemies, the priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all of those who hated the Lord for similar reasons. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus was hated by his brethren, the Jews. In verse 2, we're told that Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to his father. Now, on the surface, it might seem that Joseph was just a tattletale, but, but from what Joseph says later on, he may have spoken to his brothers about the problem first. He may have told them, listen, what you're doing is not right. Remember that Joseph was a good and godly man. Though he was young, he exhibited the traits of Jesus Christ. In any event, verse 4 describes the deviousness and deceitfulness of the brothers, not just toward Joseph, but toward Jacob himself, the father. Because when it says, when his brothers saw, that refers to seeing the coat on Joseph. When they saw that Joseph wore the coat of the birthright, Since he was the one picked by Jacob to the position of master and overseer of the camp, this is why they hated him so much. This is why when Jesus would speak about himself being the Son of God, they wanted to pick up stones and stone Jesus. They called it blasphemy. Joseph wearing this coat out in the, in the field. <laughs> Standing out like a sore thumb with his brothers being the ones doing all the work while this is the young whippersnapper overseeing their work. It caused small men in character to become very upset at the favored position of their younger brother. So Joseph didn't just live among imperfect parents. He also lived among imperfect brothers. Those of you who have brothers and siblings and all, all of your brothers and sisters are not perfect. But then again, neither are you. You understand? The problem is when we try to live our life as believers in Jesus Christ among those who don't accept it or honor it, How do we live? Notice, if you will, the last few verses that we're going to study tonight, or today, verse 5 through 11. Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Sometimes as I read this story, I want to just say to Joseph, Joseph, don't tell them the dream. Please don't tell them the dream, because they're going to hate you more. Right? We're trying to warn him. No, Joseph, no, don't don't say the dream. Keep it to yourself. But Joseph couldn't keep it to himself. There's a reason why. We'll talk about it in a moment. 
So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Oh, Joseph, you're getting in trouble. Don't do it. Verse 7, well, there we were. He's telling them the dream. Binding sheaves in the field. You know, it's taking all the stalks of wheat out in the field because they also did that. And they would bind the sheaves and they would tie them up and, and, and so they would clump up all of their wheat together in, the, in, in, that, in that manner. So he, they're binding sheaves in the field and then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And you would think, How'd they understand that? Because in the next verse it tells us his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. In other words, they knew exactly what Joseph was telling them in the dream. Now, was Joseph telling them this because he was trying to be, you know, outsmart them or he was trying to boast to them or he was, he was kind of doing, you know, that kind of thing? Was he doing that? No. There was a reason why he was doing this. Truly, it was under the direction of God to tell his brothers these dreams. Even if it was going to make them hate him more. When Jesus came to his brethren, did he not tell them the truth? And when he told them the truth, what did they do? They hated him even more. And then he dreams still another dream. No, not another dream, Joseph, please. I don't want you to get hurt. They're going to hate you more. He dreams still another dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, look, you just want to slap Joseph. Stop it. Don't tell him anymore. Do something so that they'll like you. I mean shine their sandals and put it outside their door every night and make them like you somehow. Don't tell them any more dreams. They're just going to hate you more. But he did. Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. They started counting. Mom, Dad, eleven of us. Hey! So he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and he said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall, shall your mother and I and, and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? I mean, the father got it. Not hard to interpret. And his brothers envied him now. They hated him three, three times more than they did before, but now they, they envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. His father pondered. Though he rebuked him, he pondered it. To some extent, Mary, the mother of Jesus, didn't outright rebuke her son at the wedding of Cana, but a few times she said some things, but but then she pondered things. She pondered things when she was told that she was going to be the one to bring in the Messiah into this world. She pondered these things. She thought about them. Just as we need to think about all the things that we hear and read and study in the Word of God, we need to ponder it. Jacob pondered it. We have to move from, from Joseph's dress to Joseph's dreams because the dreams function as God's Word to him. God was speaking to him through these dreams. 
The dreams function as God's word to Joseph. There was no written word at the time, of course. These dreams served as God's revelation and scriptures to Joseph. The dreams themselves, they, they, didn't need, they didn't need any interpreting whatsoever. I mean, his brothers and later his brothers and his father, they all understood that the dreams meant they, they would all one day bow down to Joseph as he, as he provided for them. And of course, this is exactly what the remaining chapters of Genesis describe. How through God's amazing providence, Joseph goes from pit to pinnacle, uh, rising in power in Egypt during a time of devastating famine to provide the grain necessary to preserve his family. This is why he's telling them, to some extent it's a warning, to some extent it's prophecy, but in any event, it is God telling him to tell his brothers. He was obedient to God in sharing what he shared to his brothers. And on top of it all, the the word of God must have been a great source of strength to Joseph's inner man during his long years in exile. I mean, it, it it should be obvious that God's word is our source of strength for our spirit as well. Someone who is truly born again of the spirit of God will desire and require God's word the way a baby desires and requires milk. But I tend to believe very strongly that today, in in the day and time in which we live before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that so many people are turning away from the Word of God to experiences or to some kind of conversations nowadays as the emerging church has been trying to teach people along the way. The Bible is not important. Theology is not important. You know, what's important is that we have some conversations about things. There has to be more than one way to God. But wait a minute, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But people aren't reading that. I mean, they're hearing it, but they're not believing it. My question to you today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is are you every day desiring and requiring the Word of God in your life so that you might grow more and more into the image of Christ? So that you might mature more in the things of God and of Christ and of the kingdom of God? It is Peter who said in 1 Peter 2 verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Who wants to stay a child after being a a believer for 20 years? No, you should be mature and you should be leading others to Jesus and you should be telling others about the word of God and about the things that Christ has done for us and the fact that he's coming again. Are you desiring and requiring the Word of God in your life each and every day? Now, the implication, getting back to Joseph, the implication is that Joseph was grounded in God's Word as the Lord spoke to him through dreams. Now, some in reading verses 5 through 11 of our text would say that Joseph was wrong, that he was wrong in the way that he handled this, that he lacked tact, and, you know, he just went out there and blurted all these things out to his brothers. He should have been paying more attention to the fact that they were hating him because of it. No. Others say he was boasting. No. This just is not so. God spoke to Joseph in a dream. And the message may have been unpleasant for his brothers to hear. But it was the truth. And they needed to hear the truth even though they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't handle it. 
as it was when Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. They couldn't handle the truth that he was Messiah. So they took him to the Romans and he was hung on a cross. When Jesus came, did he come boasting? When Jesus came and spoke to the multitudes that he lacked tact, Nowadays, you know, we're, we're being told, listen, you need to be careful what you teach from pulpits today because you might offend people. You need to just give a positive message, you know. Some of the big churches around today, you know, some of the largest churches, it's all because they teach a nice positive message. They really don't like it when you give a negative message. Positive, negative, negative, positive. You know, when I think about that, I, I, I keep thinking, you know, the only times I really understand positive and negative is in science and, and, and electricity and magnets. So what is this about positive messages and negative messages? I mean, we hear that same garbage today that we need to be more positive. Well, okay, you want to be more positive? You want me to be more positive? All right, if you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, if you are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am positive you are going to hell. And so you need to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And I am positive if you do that, you will be saved. According to the Scriptures. All right. Is that positive enough for you? (laughs) Positive, negative? How about truthful? How about truthful? Paul tells Timothy, his son in the faith, in later years now, Paul is about, this is the last letter that Paul has, has written to Timothy, his son in the faith, his son who has gone and endured a tremendous amount of struggle and trial as a pastor, a young pastor, now grown up a little bit more, but fearful of things. It happens in ministry. Paul wants to encourage him. And he exhorts him and he says to him, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. By the way, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights in the study of the book of Revelation, you realize that these judgments that Paul is talking about are serious judgments. So this isn't just a kind of a surface type of judgment. This is a serious judgment. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom preach the word preach the word the word of God preach the word of God be instant and ready in season and out of season convince which means to convict rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching don't put it down because people are not wanting to hear the message don't put it aside because they say it's not positive enough Again, it's not about positive and negative. It's about godliness or ungodliness. Which one are you going to choose? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. season convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's today. There are people that are not enduring sound doctrine today. They don't want to hear about it. 
They don't want to hear that the Word of God is very clear about the standards that God has given about marriage. The standards that we have here been given in God's Word about life. They don't want to hear these things anymore. They want everybody to fall in. Accept things. We can't accept it. The Word of God doesn't change. It stays the same. Just as God never changes. Neither does His Word. If society wants to change, if cultures want to change, we still have to stand on the Word of God. It will not change. according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's today. But you, Christian, you who are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. You think that Joseph endured a lot of afflictions in his life. He had to endure even the possibility of having been killed a couple of times on the way to being a leader in Egypt. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. You see, what we find in our text as we close is that God confirmed Jacob's choice of his faithful son Joseph by his two dreams. By these two dreams, God predicted that Joseph would rule over his family. That was prophetic. The brothers hated him all the more, but Jacob, we are told, pondered the matter. Jacob knew how God worked. Jacob had a relationship with God. Yeah, he struggled. He went up and down. and you know He was on that spiritual roller coaster all the time, it seems. But he knew how God worked. He was well aware that the Lord could select the younger to rule over the elder and that God could declare his choice in advance by an oracle or a dream. He knew it because that was his own life. Do you remember what was predicted about him and Esau? That before they were born... His parents were told by God, the elder will serve the younger. Nothing's too hard for God. And as for Jacob's dreams, the first dream was agricultural, the second was celestial. The dream of the sheaves was a dream of position and power relating to the earth. The harvest field was a symbol of the world's resources. It was a dream of the control that Joseph was to have over the resources of the world in that position that he held in Egypt. The dream was fulfilled in Joseph's ultimate control over the resources of Egypt. The dream of the stars was also a dream of position and power. Joseph would be given command of the rulers of the world. And this would be fulfilled in the high position of authority that Joseph attained in Egypt an authority, by the way, so great that even Pharaoh bowed down to his will. Now, does that remind you of someone? Joseph being the type of Jesus Christ, Jesus who is king over all of his creation. Jesus Christ who is the great provider, 
because he is the great creator of all things. And that one day Jesus will enter into Jerusalem and he will sit on the throne of David and he will rule all nations and all kings and all kingdoms for a thousand years on this earth. And then, of course, he will rule and reign from his throne in heaven forever. Does it sound familiar? Keep the mindset of Joseph being a type of Christ as we go through every page of Genesis 37 through 50. Because that's how powerful the life of Joseph is for us. It was that way for the children of Israel that they see what Joseph represented for their future, not only as the nation of Israel in ancient times, but for the nation of Israel today. Because while a lot of people are saying, you know, God has given up on Israel, He has not. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says He is going to restore this nation. The Bible already has taught us what has happened already in that there is a nation called Israel again. All of this is prophetic. And it has been fulfilled. And everything about Israel will be fulfilled and God will restore the people and Israel will one day see. They will see the one whom they have pierced. Because they'll see the scars. And they'll know that their Messiah is Jesus. The one they rejected before. Just like the brothers of Joseph when they left him for dead. Selling him actually to the Ishmaelites as we'll see next time. But in effect just leaving him for dead. That when they came to the land of Egypt and pleaded for help because of a great famine. They had to deal with Joseph. Though they did not recognize him, he recognized them because he knew them just as Jesus knows his people. And eventually when he revealed himself, what does it tell us? When the people shall see him whom they pierced, they shall weep because they realize what they did. When they recognize Joseph, when he finally revealed himself to them, they feared. But Joseph told them, you don't have to fear. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he turned them to God. a tremendous story that we're entering in. Read it. Look for the types. You'll see them. Appreciate this life because it speaks to us where we are. Dealing with trials, dealing with troubles, dealing with tragedies from time to time, dealing with temptations all around us. And yet, I would want for you what was given to Joseph, the words that state, but God walked with Joseph. I want that to be your testimony. But God walks with you.
no matter what you face, He's with you. No matter what you've dealt with, no matter what you've lost in Christ, you regain it all. And so begins our quest in the study of Joseph. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you and we bless you and we praise you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. 